of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 7. We'll start there. I'm in the middle of a thought that hopefully will give context. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? I'd like to speak to you tonight on the subject, tuning up the orchestra. You can be seated. Sunday I spoke on the symphony of ministry. My message was to address the tendency in all of our human behavior to favor one ministry or minister above others. The factions that formed in the church in Corinth were symptoms of their carnality and the immaturity of that church. Paul said, you are carnal and you are babies because they had divisions and quarreling and they had uh, all kinds of issues in that church. The full symphony of ministry that God placed in the church is vital to perfect the church so we can all do the work of the ministry that the body of Christ could be built up. That's what Paul taught us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. I'll just review what I said Sunday that God placed in the church governing ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. He gave ministry gifts. That's how we serve God in the local church. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, showing mercy, and some would add helps. We know there are nine gifts of the Spirit that are given severally or individually as God wills to someone in the church. Everyone in the church has a gift. Several years ago, I preached a series But the keynote message was the gifted church, a gifted church. God has gifted His church. When He uh, ascended on high, He led captivity captive, and He gave gifts to men. So we exercise the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healings, the working of miracles, prophecy, the discerning of spirits, tongues, the interpretation of tongues. We understand that God speaks to His church, He ministers in the body of Christ through the gifts that He has placed in the church. And we need to be receptive and responsive to the entire symphony of ministry that God has placed in the church. You may remember that I spoke about this word, symphonia, in the original Greek language of which the New Testament was written, when Jesus said, if any two of you agree, if I can get my church to get together in symphony, then I will do whatever they ask of me. That's a pretty powerful understanding. Now, Paul wrote that there is a diversity of ministry. So on the screens, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So not everyone ministers with the same gift 
the same ministry or the same operation of the Holy Ghost. The diversity of the body of Christ was given to profit the entire church. Not the person being used in the gift individually in that moment, but so the entire church would profit. If we reject God's messengers because we're unfamiliar with the gift, the ministry, or the operation of the Spirit, we deprive ourselves of the profit that we can receive from the Lord. Suppose Jesus would have been rejected, and He was rejected by many, because right in the middle of a church service in a synagogue, He told a man to stand up and stretch forth His hand. That would be a little like, I don't know if that's okay or not. But to the man that was healed instantly, he thought that was perfectly in order. Because God worked through that unorthodox method right in the middle of a church service. Now what if you came up for prayer and you were having trouble with your eyes and I spit on the ground. I'd have to have a little mud there to be like Jesus. Made some mud balls and stuck them on your eyes. Maybe even your empty eye sockets. A lot of people standing around go, you know, where's the hand sanitizer? And Jesus did that for the man born blind. And he was healed. Imagine Jesus putting his fingers in the ears of a man who was deaf. Spitting and touching his tongue. Commanding his ears to be opened. That's a little like out of the ordinary, out of our comfort zone. We read back and we think it was okay because Jesus did that. Once when a young boy had a devil in him, Jesus was casting him out. That boy fell on the ground, wallowed around. Foamed at the mouth. Yeah, I don't think that happens in very many churches in 2017. But if it does, and someone is delivered of a devil, then let it happen that God would be glorified and people would be delivered and healed. What I'm saying is that we, amen, you can go ahead and applaud that the Lord would work among us. God doesn't always do the same thing the same way. He's much more creative than we could ever imagine. And all I'm asking is that we open our hearts to the diversity of ministry that He has placed in the church. He said, Paul said, there are diversities of gifts. The word is charisma. It means a spiritual endowment, a miraculous faculty. It is a gift that God supernaturally uses through a person. And there are differences of gifts. They're not all the same and they don't operate the same way every time. But it is the Holy Ghost that imparts those gifts and motivates them to be used for the edifying of the body of Christ. If those gifts are used improperly, it is not because the Spirit did the wrong thing. It's because a human being misunderstood, but usually not with an improper motive. Verse 5, Paul said, there's differences of administration. The word is diaconia or to serve or to minister. Diacono is a deacon. God has different kinds of ministries in the church. And we don't all do it the same way because we have different 
personalities and giftings and callings. But it is the same God, the Bible says, the same Lord who ministers through those people. And then Paul said there are diversities of operations. The word is energma, is the energy of God. God lets His power, His Spirit, be demonstrated in unique and different ways. But it is a Spirit that is doing the supernatural and we should flow with what God does. New Living Translation says God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And thank God for that. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Everybody in the church that is Spirit-filled has a spiritual gift or one that God is waiting for you to seek, to covet, to desire, and to receive because that is how God operates through His body, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while God gives those gifts to individuals, as I've already said, it is not the prophet me, it is the prophet us. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for that. Now, remember the church in Corinth had lots of issues. And I listed a lot of them on Sunday. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul tries to get the Corinthian church to get in tune with the Spirit concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, he said, I would not have you be ignorant. I don't want you to be without knowledge about spiritual gifts. So he gives biblical insight, practical instruction. He ex- uh, kind of exerts his spiritual authority. And he gives an example that even in a church that is spiritually gifted, there can be discord and disharmony instead of harmony. So my mission tonight is to try to get the orchestra of the church in tune. Amen. In tune with heaven. Now, tuning is a process of adjusting the pitch of one or many tones for musical instruments until they get into the desired arrangement. Pitch, what you hear called pitch. Very few people in the world have perfect pitch. But pitch is your perceived sound. Instruments produce vibrations. And those vibrations are received in our ears as sound all the way from a hertz to more than one hertz. The average human being can hear sounds between 20 hertz and 16,000 hertz. In music and in acoustics, the frequency of standard pitch, if you're going to tune an orchestra, is A above middle C, which is typically 440 hertz. And if you want to read a lot about that, there's some variation that is typically the standard around the world. And when an instrument is out of tune, it means that the pitch or the tone of that instrument is either too high, we would call that sharp, or it is too low, and when we say that that instrument is flat, or a singer 
is off pitch. Typically, they're more flat than sharp. But anyway, finely tuned orchestra gets on pitch. They get in tune to A above middle C. They tune to the frequency of 440 megahertz, which is that pitch of A above middle C. On Sunday, I played a clip of a symphony number no. five in C minor composed by Ludwig C. Beethoven, composed between 1804 and 1808. It's one of the best-known compositions, frequently played in symphonies, and I can't believe I played secular music in church, but most everybody seemed to enjoy it. That was beautiful. But have you ever heard a live orchestra tune up? Have you ever heard a live orchestra tune up? I played in my high, junior high and senior high orchestra, and we used to tune up. And a professional orchestra tuning up sounds like this, I hope, sounds like this. Isn't that beautiful? Sound like professionals, don't they? Magnificent, isn't it? Beautiful. Okay, enough, the conductor says. Now, believe it or not, that seemed like 10 minutes, but it was like a minute and 10 seconds. And I decided to play the entire painful <laughs> minute and 10 seconds. Now, most concert orchestras would tune with an oboe because historically an oboe was less affected by humidity and temperature, and so an oboe would, oboe would play the A above middle C, and that would be the pitch that the entire orchestra would tune to. I told you that I, I played the trumpet in high school, so I, I decided I would thoroughly embarrass myself tonight. Does that say seven C? A number on the side. I have two mouthpieces. I want to make sure that, does that say ten and a half C on the side? How many trumpet players are here? Now I could have gotten, I could have gotten some of our, Brother Turner, you didn't raise your hand. No, I'm not going to call on you. Where's Ben Phillips? So you guys are chicken. So this, this was the trumpet. And it was in a case, packed away, and I got it out and oiled it up a little bit. And my wife is so awesome. This was all like, looked like it had corrosion all over, and she cleaned it up. And I've been so inspired today about, you know, the trumpet. 
But I'm really out of practice, like really bad. So this is a tuning slide, all right? And this trumpet, this is a trumpet that my parents bought me as a graduation gift. I think that was before I graduated. And I played this in high school and Bible college. And you can tune this slide. And this has a slide. If you're third finger, you can use this tuning slide. And there's a tuning slide for your first finger, the piston. There are three valves on a trumpet. And you could even adjust here. So these are all adjustments that you can make when you're trying to tune the trumpet. So I'm going to push this slide all the way in. I'm pretty sure that this will be out of tune. So I want you to do, this is not on my sermon. This is on me being in tune or not, okay? So I don't want to take this too personally. This is, if you think that my pitch is sharp above the note, I want you to do this. If you think my pitch is too low, I want you to do this, the dreaded down. That means you think that the pitch is flat on A above middle C, which I think is B for me, right? Conch should be B. Whoa. What did you do to this trumpet every day? How many say that sharp, flat? So we're going to try to adjust this. You can only do so much, you know. This shouldn't do sharp. It should be better. Ready? How's that? Better or worse? So if you're a musician, you assume... When you pick up your instrument, that you are not in tune. Okay? You just know that when humidity affects this instrument and your embouchure, the way you perform notes, and all the way from my very first junior high experience with Mr. Bobrick, uh, maybe in Henry Filer, that might have been senior high, you pick up that mouthpiece and you say M, like that, sounds like a duck call. That's the sound that you're going to make while you're trying to learn how to do it. But you have to tune and retune an instrument. It's really kind of embarrassing to hear a live orchestra tune right before they play because they're going to play this magnificent, majestic music. But while they're tuning, it sounds like my junior high orchestra and the poor oboe players with double reeds who were always squeaking and the clarinet players that had trouble with those reeds are so very difficult to play, probably of most of the instruments. But they never assume it. They understand that the science of music, not only is it fascinating, but it is very complicated. And it takes constant tuning because your pitch is always being affected by humidity, by temperature, Wood instruments swell or shrink with the temperature of the room. Strings stretch on instruments like pianos and violins. And if you've got a string on a guitar, a violin, a cello, any stringed instrument that breaks, then the tension on the neck could be affected by that. And all the other strings would go out of tune because everything has changed. Woodwind instruments are affected, as I said, by the reed. Now, in the church... We've got to get in tune with heaven. We've got to tune up to what God is trying to say. You know, the Bible says that my sheep know my voice. There's a sound that comes from the Spirit, and a stranger, Jesus said, they will not follow. 
Many times in the Bible, Jesus said, and in the book of Revelation, again, the voice of the Spirit, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let your spirit listen for the perfect pitch of heaven, for that Holy Ghost A440, and bring yourself up to pitch. Get in the standard of heaven and nothing else. Amen. We need to hear a certain sound. So we're going to go through 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14 very briefly in an overview manner. So I'm going to put away my trumpet. Boy, you know, it's been so long and I did such a bad job a while ago. I want to play Bugler's Holiday, but I'm not. I was going to play a scale, but I chickened out. Years ago, uh, well, I'll get to that later. I'll get to years ago later. I think you could summarize 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 as a spiritual tune-up. we got all these gifts. They're operating in Corinth. They're gifted, but they are just so disharmonious. They're out of tune. So Paul's going to tune them up. And he starts teaching them on the diversity of ministry, which I've already explained. And then, remember chapter 13, the love chapter. Paul sandwiches a little hope and some instruction between some real technical explanation and understanding of 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14. But look at 13.1, how he brings this illustration back in. I read my text from chapter 14. Paul uses music in this message. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I'm just banging around on an instrument, but I'm not really saying anything that matters. Chapter 14, he opens that chapter by saying, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. He doesn't want them to be an ungifted church. He wants them to be a gifted church that desires spiritual gifts. And in chapter 14 particularly, Paul addresses the three gifts that are most abused in public services because they are the most used. If God uses me in the discerning of spirits, in a church service, you may not know it. Or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. It wouldn't be publicly addressed in the congregation. But because tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy are public gifts that are used in church services, then Paul feels like he needs to give some extra special instruction. Now if you go back to chapter 11 of Corinthians, you'll see that these people are so zealous, they're kind of rabid. I mean, when it comes time for communion, they trample on their brothers and sisters to get to the communion table. And some don't get anything at all. And others think it's a dinner on the grounds. And some are full and some are hungry. But in chapter 14, Paul is dealing with the misuse of these gifts. Now I'm going to jump around, because I'm not trying to systematically teach through all of these gifts, trying to make a point 
about tuning up with the Holy Ghost, tuning up the orchestra of the church. 1426. How is it in brethren? When you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Paul said, I'm really proud of y'all because you really, he didn't say y'all, but I'm really proud, I'm really glad that everybody wants to be used of God. That you come to church and instead of trying to figure out how we can edify the church, everybody's trying to play a solo. You're not in symphony. Everybody wants to be the star on the stage. So when you come to church, if you're used to have a doctrine or a tongue or a revelation or an interpretation, whether it's in order or not, whether it edifies anybody or not, bless God, you're going to get used by God when you go to church, no matter who it hurts. Verses 27 to 33. It gives some instruction. Remember tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, the subject primarily of chapter 14. He's trying to tune them up so that they can function effectively as a church. Any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. That means one at a time. When you realize that someone else is giving a message in tongues, you should defer. You should give way to them. When you realize someone is giving the interpretation of tongues, then you defer so that there is not confusion and you let one speak. Verse 28. And if there be no interpreter, if no one has this gift, or no one has the interpretation, then let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and God. In other words, Paul said, sometimes you really feel tongues on you, but it's not a message in tongues. It's a devotional tongue. You're just worshiping God and you're excited and that's good. But it's not time for a message in tongues and interpretation. So if there's no interpretation, don't try again. Just worship God. Blend your voice in the symphony of the church. Back off. Don't be embarrassed because we are all human beings trying to be used by God, but we want it to be done right. Verse 29. Let the prophet speak two or three let the other judge. Now, well, I'll go on. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Now, he's going to clarify that in a church service, and I'll come back to this, but I don't want to miss this, that two or three messages in tongues or three interpretations, and, and that is all for one church service, and prophets two or three, and that is all for one church service. You can all testify and encourage one another. You'll see this later in the Scripture. These are practical guidelines that Paul has given, so there will be a church that is tuned up, that is powerful, but is also working together to edify 
and not confuse, right, in the church. He's not the, God is not the author. And it doesn't mean that people are evil. We're just human beings. Sometimes, in our sincerity, we may do the wrong thing. And you will find, that unless something is really extreme, no one who serves on our ministerial team is going to embarrass anyone I'm going to try to explain, try to direct, try to keep it right. So if there's no interpretation, as I've mentioned, you just kind of back off and let that go. Now, typically, and I know this is ideally, that if God wants to speak, there's often what we would call a, a pause or a holy hush. There's a feeling in the church that God wants to speak to us through the gifts of tongues and interpretation. And then when that pause comes, that kind of holy hush, message in tongues, interpretation that God uses. Now, there are times in a practical way that maybe the person in the pulpit feels like it is either not the right time, God is not going to speak at that moment, and may just kind of encourage worship. You may feel like they're drowning that out, but it is not trying to embarrass, but it's to try to move this on. You may say, well, I can't control myself. But Paul says you can in verse 32 of chapter 14. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. But we can... Say, you know what? I feel something from God, but I'm going to submit to the person who is in leadership at this moment. Verse 33, I've already read it, that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Can you see how confusion would disrupt the peace of a church? I mean, we're the kind of church where we strive for excellence, aim for excellence. We can have some guy go grab a trumpet and everybody gets real tense, you know? We're just used to things being done right. When it's not, we can get confused by that. But here we're talking about the exercise of spiritual gifts. Verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul says, you may feel like you really have a direct connect to God, but in a local church... I've placed authority. And Paul says, what I'm telling you right now, these are the commandments of God. The spirit of the subject, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. And then verse 39, he says now, you know, 39 and 40, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. In other words, he encouraged these spiritual gifts. He wants us to be hungry for them but he wants it to be done decently and in order. Now, I want to just get real practical for a few minutes. And if you want to read a lot about this, there is a book on spiritual gifts by our general superintendent, Brother David Bernard, who is a phenomenal theologian and writer, a lover of Scripture and God, and it's an amazing person. And uh, so as I was developing my message, I referred back to his book at a couple of places just to kind of get the way Brother Bernard said it, because it's hard to say it better than him. So let's suppose that 
uh, I'm in the pulpit or any one of our ministers or a guest minister, and there's a tongues and interpretation, and the person in the pulpit kind of says, you know, let's just all worship the Lord right now. And, you know, let's just all... And you can tell that that person is saying, not now. Well, there are some explanations for that. First of all, it's possible that the person who is speaking in tongues is getting a personal blessing and it's just a devotional tongue and it's unto God and they misunderstood what they were feeling. Wouldn't you say that that is possible, right? Maybe the Holy Ghost is trying to encourage them because Paul said, when you speak in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself, okay? So it's a blessing and it's strengthening to speak in tongues. Jude said, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and by that you keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, maybe that person is acting out of a mistaken feeling, excessive zeal. It could be that they're carnal, probably not. And there could be an example where it's the devil. I mean, it just could be. I don't think that's typical. But that could happen where the devil is trying to interrupt the service and trying to, to disrupt and bring fear, right? In that case, the person who is a leader has a responsibility to try to bring this order, and everyone in the church kind of works together with that, right? Now, there's a third possibility of what could happen. The person who's in the pulpit may miss it. They may be wrong. And because nobody I know is infallible, including myself, by a long, 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 long shot. I mean, I can't even play a day, you know, above C without cracking. Maybe they miss the direction of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to just throw this in. This is not part of my message tonight. But I recognize my fallibility. But sometimes when we're in worship and people come to the front and they're praying and worshiping and receiving ministry, they get a blessing from the Lord. There are three factors that I look at. And these are what I look at. Number one, how deep is this move of God? Secondly, how wide is this move of God? Is this, is this five people or ten people? Maybe it's the prodigal come home and we stop everything for one person. But how wide is this? Because sometimes I'm here as a pastor or somebody else is in the pulpit and you look out and you see 10 or 20 or even 30 people. It could be 50 people who are engaged in that moment. But then there are hundreds of people that are not connected to that. Or there are people who are unsaved here who need to hear the word of God. So I try to sense in my spirit the best I can. How deep is this? How wide is this? And has God given me a message? Now, I've been here 22 years this month. Unless the Lord comes back, there will be another service. I'm not worried that I'm not going to get to preach a particular sermon. Neither do I want to try to generate a move of God so I don't have to preach. Because I honestly, I've not ever walked to this pulpit not prepared. I never feel fully prepared. You know, I kind of edit and re-edit to the last minute. That's my, you know, perfectionist personality. God help us all. But 
So I, don't, I always know I need the Lord and I never feel like I just got this. But if I feel a message that God has given me for that day, then I'm going to weigh that as a factor. How deep is it? How wide is it? And has God given me a message to preach? And that's the basis upon which I'm going to make a decision whether to kind of let God move and then kind of gently let everybody be seated and then preach. I am not against the move of God where there is no preaching. However, I have jokingly said, one of these days I'm going to say, we had an incredible service, no singing. Because usually people say, we had awesome church today, no preaching. And that meant God moved in such a way the preacher couldn't even preach, whatever. That can happen. (laughs) If, If the leader misses it, then you let God take care of that leader. God can find a way to get what he needs done. I don't think lightning's going to strike that leader. And you probably shouldn't be out there trying to be the spiritual professor of the congregation saying, boy, he missed it today. Mm-mm-mm. Just follow the direction of that leader, whoever that is, and defer to them. Now, a lot of crazy things happen in Pentecostal churches like, you know, people stretching forth their hands and the dead being raised and people having the devil cast out of them. I mean, we really kind of have organized chaos. You know, I mean, it's okay that everybody's not sitting in their pew with their hands folded. We don't want to have a church that everyone's so afraid to do the wrong thing, they don't do anything. Paul said, desire spiritual gifts. Covet earnestly the best gift. Stir up the gift that is in you. I'm teaching tonight not to try to quiet us down. I'm here to tune us up so that we're better and more spiritual and we have confidence in what God is doing. Now, you know, just kind of work with that leader. as a church, just like you amen the preacher and you kind of get with him. If somebody's struggling a little bit, sometimes I'll feel like it's, you know, if I'm tired or sometimes I feel like, man, I'm, I am, there's a battle here today. That's not the time for you guys to say, you folks to say, wonderful saints of God to say, well, boy, I tell you what, he must not have prayed this week. He must not have studied enough. He's really having a hard time. Wait till he sees his report card at the lunch table today. You know, that, that might be true. But what really you should be saying is, come on. You know, we're all in this together. Amen? We're here together and we want to see this work. Amen. A couple of weeks ago when Brother Jury was preaching, we had just gotten back from vacation. And during church, man, or right before church, the Lord just dropped into my spirit this, just this phrase, and there was war in heaven. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not preaching today. Brother Jury's preaching. But I tell you what. If there's war in heaven, I'm going to engage in that war. I went to him before he came to the pulpit. He said, I just want you to know that today I'm praying for you. I'm worshiping for you. I'm going to be with you 100%. In the second service, it got a little off to a little bit of a slow start. And I leaned up to Brother DJ. I said, let's preach with Brother Jury. You know, it wasn't that he, it was just a congregation needed to engage. And sometimes we get a little lazy and lethargic 
and we get performance oriented and we say, preach to me, sing to me. But this is not a solo performance. This is the orchestra of the church. Amen. We've got to kind of get together and work together and not be lazy and not be spectators. Not put it all on the person that's trying to do their best to do the work of God. So if the, if the person in the pulpit, the pastor, the preacher happens to miss it, you know, it's kind of like a wife with a husband. If he's treating you bad, go over his head. Pray and let God take care of him. He will. So if the pastor misses it, pray for me. And I believe there's a right way to appeal to people in authority and Believe me, I have plenty of people that I'm accountable to who will, not, who will tell me. So if you're worried about that, you can quit worrying. And there are people I trust and that have permission from me. Not that they have to have it, but they have an open door to talk to me if I'm doing something foolish. Now, back to the beginning of chapter 14. Let's, we're going to go through this a few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Follow after charity. Now remember, he's just gotten through a whole chapter talking about charity. This agapeo love, this this love like the love of God. Unconditional love. So he's tying this together. Follow love. And and by the way, 1 Corinthians 13 opens, you know, I've shown you a more excellent way. Rather than just seeking a gift, love God, love people, and ask God to gift you with the gifts that are appropriate for your ministry in the church. That's why he said the more excellent way is the way of allowing love to be the highest motivation of your life. Not just to be used in a gift, although that's very important. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. We take these three words to kind of encapsulate the work of the Spirit of all the gifts. That the gifts of the Spirit are at work in the church to edify, to build up the church, to exhort the church, to urge strongly the church, to comfort the church. Verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Remember me saying that earlier? But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now, I'm going to just make this explanation now, and you'll see it in the Bible. But if you want to kind of see how this works practically, You know, there are tongues, and if there are a message in tongues, there should be the interpretation of tongues. And tongues plus the interpretation of tongues accomplishes basically what prophecy does. But there are times when it is believers, and a tongues is not necessary. Maybe there is the flow of the Holy Ghost, and there is that Holy Ghost pause, and then there is a message of prophecy, and the tongues are not needed to kind of rivet everyone's attention to the Spirit. I'm talking about this biblically and practically. Amen. 
He that speaketh in tongues, except he interpret. In other words, he says, if you just have tongues without an interpretation, you're not really edifying the church. You're only edifying the person who is speaking. And I've already told you in verse 4 that they're only really edifying themselves. But, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. These gifts are to edify, that means build up the church. Verse 6. Now, brethren and sisters, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, well, shall I profit you that I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? In other words, if I speak in tongues, I give a message in tongues, it needs to be translated or I should not use that gift. That's what it is for. And, and sometimes the person giving the message in tongues does not know if someone will interpret and you don't know, but that's why I think Paul is saying if you give a message in tongues and there is no interpreter, it's up to that person in the pulpit to wait as long as they feel is appropriate. And then if no one feels comfortable, they don't step out on faith, then they may move on. But that's up to that person in leadership in that moment. Now, when we're all worshiping at our church, everybody can speak in tongues anytime you want. But again, just because you're speaking in tongues does not mean that is a message in tongues for the entire church. Paul said, if I was to go to the pulpit and just start speaking in tongues, that would not do anybody any good at all but me. I mean, if I walked up here tonight and said, please turn to 1 Corinthians 14, started speaking in tongues for 45 minutes, at first you might think it's pretty neat, but after about a minute... You would think, and? And like, we got up early, we fought traffic, we rushed to church, we haven't even had anything to eat, and like, that's it? Paul said, I'm not going to do that. No one would get edified. So, not always, but most of the time, if I am praying While I'm in the pulpit I'm talking about, and I begin to pray in tongues, most often I just turn off my microphone. Now there are some times, and I don't want to, it's not a rule, okay, but I feel like I need to be praying in the Holy Ghost over our church. And I may leave the microphone on. And if I'm right or wrong, whatever, that's maybe God can straighten me out. Typically our sound people are instructed Somebody's just you know, singing and speaking in tongues, not a message in tongues, worshiping in tongues. We ask our singers, just pull the mic away from your mouth or they'll turn them down. Not because we don't want you to speak in tongues, but because of what Paul is saying here. When I'm worshiping in tongues, I am edifying myself. A message in tongues is different, but I am worshiping in tongues. Remember, we're not against tongues. Paul said, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. But in the church, I would rather say five words in your understanding, okay? Now, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 14. Everybody getting tuned up? Amen. He's talking about tongues, interpretation, prophecy, the gifts of the Spirit in general. And he gives an example. And even things without life, like instruments, giving sound, 
fits a pipe like a piccolo or a flute, clarinet, saxophone, trumpet, or a harp, a stringed instrument, except they give a distinction in the sounds. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? I'm so sorry I didn't give you any warning about this. I want you to just come bang on the keyboard. I know a lot of people could do this, but <laughs> just, 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 yeah. All right, we're going to play Name That Tune. That, thank you. <laughs> we're going to play Name That Tune. That was amazing grace, I could tell. I could pick it out. I knew it from the first note. That was amazing grace. Well, you know, that was an amazing grace. We have no idea what that was. And Paul said, if you're going to play, tune up and hit the right notes. And play a tune so we can sing along and recognize what you're playing. If you're playing a pipe or a harp, don't just hit random notes. Now, I've heard people sing in random keys. And I have a favorite memory of Florida Youth Camp. The camp evangelist was on the platform. It was Singspiration. This poor precious girl was singing a song I will never forget across the bridge. And every phrase was in a different key. It was something like this. Across the bridge, there's no more sorrow. And it got worse from there. And I thought our guest camp evangelist was going to bite his lip in half, trying to keep a straight face and not smile. Paul said in verse 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, he shall prepare himself for battle. But in biblical times, the trumpet was used for numbers of things. A convocation called together by the sound of the trumpet. Time to retire. Time to move. In the U.S. Army website, there are 25 bugle calls that could be used in the course of any day. There are signals to announce something to the men in that camp or on that base. There are scheduled calls that would happen in the morning with reveille and at night with taps. But then, I thought this was interesting as a little point to me, there are non-scheduled calls that are sounded by the direction of the commander. Now, I'm just going to do a little parenthesis here on purpose. But it made me think about the coming of the Lord. When no man knows the day or the hour, you can't schedule it. But the Bible said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Not scheduled, but when the commander-in-chief says, sound that last trump, something's going to happen. 1 Thessalonians 4 also speaks of the trumpet of God that's going to sound. Now, if you're in the army, and the guy on the bugle just kind of, you don't know. I'm not going to read all 25 calls. Thank you very much. You're welcome. But from Reveille, I mean, I want to know mess call. That's when you're going to eat. I want to know that one, right? If you don't know anything else, know when it's time to come eat. 
It's good to know retreat, you know, charge and retreat. But Paul said, if you give an uncertain sound, all the soldiers are trying to decide what to do. And they don't know if it's blank, 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 or it's charge or retreat. We don't know if it's taps at the end of the day or at the end of your life. Taps is for that. Years ago in Jackson, Mississippi, we had these national music ministry conferences. Brother T.L. Kraft was preaching on this verse of Scripture. It's the trumpet given a certain sound. How shall they prepare for battle? I was a trumpet player, you see. And he said, now, Brother Daryl, what I want you to do, I want you to get your trumpet and I want you to be backstage. And when I give you the cue, I want you to kind of give da 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 I got my trumpet. Every trumpet player here, every, every brass instrument player here knows right now that that instrument gets cold and the mouthpiece gets cold and I'm standing backstage and I'm trying to keep my trumpet warmed up because with him you never know when he's going to say it. And so he now, you know, it's time for the trumpet call and from back to the stage he goes, bah, 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 bah. nobody even knew who I was. I confess, I took my trumpet and I slammed it in my case. I'll never play again, you know. And then he had the kindness to say, and sometimes the trumpet gives an uncertain sound. And I'm like, yeah, that was it, pretty much. <laughs> One of those top, you know, most embarrassing moments of my whole life. So I want to give three application points, okay? First of all, we need to get real by establishing a uniform pitch to which we tune. Remember, typically in an orchestra, every instrument tunes to A, above middle C, 400, and 40 megahertz. That is the sound. It may be played by the oboe. It may be by an electronic instrument. But that is the sound. Paul would say that no matter what gift you have, no matter what instrument you play, it is the same spirit that is working in you. So you don't tune to yourself. You don't turn to you tune to your own realities. You don't tune, tune to any private interpretation of the scriptures as if you know how to save yourself without the Holy Ghost saving you. The church, and in 2017, the church worlds needs to get real and get back to the certain sound of the scripture that doesn't waver geographically or generationally, it is always the same. It never changes. It is the infallible Word of God. We've got to tune to a heavenly reality instead of our own subjective realities. What we think is right of how we think it ought to be played. We've got to get real and tune to heaven. Secondly, we need to tune up. That means change. That means for me, when I tried to play 
A above C, which is a B on a trumpet, which is a B-flat instrument. But I was not in pitch. As much as I would maybe, you know, my egotistical expert trumpet self would go over and say, Brother Brandon, that's, that's not A. That, that's not A. My, you, need to, you need to change. And he could tune the piano to my trumpet, I think, right? This can be tuned. But that's the problem. We're trying to get God to tune to us instead of us tuning to God. You've got to admit that you're not in tune. And then you've got to change some things to get in tune with heaven. Too many people think they're okay when they're terribly off pitch, out of tune. A week of fasting and prayer helps do that. You say no to the appetites of the flesh. Spend special time in prayer. I know some of you are feeling conviction because you forgot all about it. Some of you are hungry right now because you're fasting today. When I fast and when I pray, I get into the Word of God. It helps me see how off pitch I am. And then I've got to have the courage and the humility to make my changes so that I tune to heaven's reality, which is my first point. You've got to get real and know what heaven expects, what is perfect pitch. We humble ourselves for that. No wonder there was so, so much dissonance and disharmony in Corinth. Too many people, too many human wills not submitted to the will of God. And that's where we are today in our world. So we've got to recognize that we are off and we've got to get back in tune. The third point I want to make. When you recognize what that tone is, what that pitch is, so that you know what you're shooting for, what you're tuning to, and you tune to that, you make the changes. But once you do, get with it. Start playing. God gifted you. He gave you a ministry. So don't sit back in the shadows afraid to get out in the orchestra and play your part. Get up and do what God has called you to do. Mature as a person. Master your gifting. Paul said to Timothy, give yourself wholly to your ministry. I'd like for you to stand right now if you would. Sometimes, when we play in a, the symphony call the church, you know, we step to the forefront, we have a solo part, and then as I preached on Sunday, then after we play our solo, we just kind of fade back into the orchestra. In high school, I was the second chair trumpet out of our trumpet section, 100-piece orchestra. Leonardo Villar was first chair. Leonardo could play really, really high. He could screech. He got a music scholarship to southern Mississippi. He was a very good trumpet player. 
But honestly, Leonardo, I hope you're not listening. His tongue was not all that great. You know, I'm being, I think I'm being objective right now to say that my tongue was better than his. But the first chair trumpet has a part that's written high. You've got to be able to hit an E above C, and you've got to be able to screech. And Leonardo could just do that. He was really good. And then Glenn came along. I can't remember his last name right now. It's not in my notes. I didn't think about it. And Glenn was a freshman. And then he started getting really good. And he challenged and moved up. You could challenge for that seat. They said, Daryl, why don't you challenge Leonardo? Like, I can't play those super high notes like Leonardo can. I know that this is where I fit in this orchestra. Because I could play this second part just fine. And when we went to state contest and played Bugler's Holiday, I have it on my phone. It's a very difficult song. I was comfortable playing my part. Second fiddle, second trumpet, because that's where I fit best. We got a superior on that piece because everybody was where they needed to be playing their part in the symphony. But God didn't gift you He didn't give you an instrument in the church to play for you to just throw it in your case and slam the lid and never play again. So today my goal is to just tune us up so that we can fit into the orchestra of heaven. Sometimes, you know what a rest is? It means you're not playing right now. Sometimes you have a whole measure of rest. If it's 4-4 time, you may have four measures and you're not playing at all. That doesn't mean you just go, like, take a water break. That means you're sitting there ready to play again and you're counting. One, two, three, four. Two, two, three, four. Three, two, three, four. Four, two, three, four. Boom. Because sometimes you're just not playing at all, but you're still in the orchestra. You can't go to sleep at the wheel, at the instrument, because God's going to call on you to play again. And you need to be in tune, and you need to be ready. Would you join me?